Now, unfortunately, their website appears to have suffered from what I can only call a sophisticated <laughs> cyber attack. How long did that take you? For God's sake. <laughs> Smashing Security, Episode 251, Prawn Hub, Tesla Recall, and IoT Luggage, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 251. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, we are joined this week by a special guest, someone who hasn't been on the show before. It's Ken Munro from Pentest Partners. Hello, Ken. Hello, Graham. Hi, Carol. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the show. First timer, eh? I know. Avid listener, too, because I'm quite, quite touched that you, uh, you invited me along. Oh. It's our pleasure. Now, Ken, for people who haven't heard, I'm sure lots of our listeners have heard of you, actually, because you quite often show up on the TV, uh, BBC Click and things like that. Um, normally, you're fiddling around with IoT gadgets, aren't you? Yeah, we, we are the destroyer of things. So so my team and I at Pentest Partners are all about um, doing interesting research in the background whilst we're out pen testing. So our, our particular interest is smart stuff. And we love breaking it, partly because it's quite easy sometimes, but also because it's when you go a bit further and dig into chips, you can find some really interesting stuff. Yay, we're hopefully going to hear about it later. Um, but first, can we thank this week's sponsors, 1Password and Qualys? It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Oh, I'm going to give you something fishy, but uh, for a change, it's going to be with an F. Better come with chips. <laughs> what about you, Ken? Well, I'd like to talk about the smart stuff, um, but a slight tangent. I'd like to talk about things getting better, amazingly. Ooh, and I'm talking Elon Tesla's in real time updates. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, have you ever been tempted by water sports? Is that something which has cropped up with this you? Isn't, Graham, which this you... isn't sticky pickles, okay? <laughs> this is this is an important show. I don't mean I I don't mean things like water skiing or synchronized swimming. I mean, Ken, have you ever done anything in the water? Anything? Cause you seem like quite a sporty sort of chap. Would that be right? I used to do quite a bit of kayaking. That was good fun. Very very right. wet. Because I spent most of the time swimming out of my canoe because I wasn't very good at it. But hey, what about fishing? Either of you ever gone fishing? I have gone fishing, but I've never caught anything. Oh, I don't, I'm really glad about that. Actually, I don't know if I would be very good at you know, putting a hook in a fish's mouth. You know, I'm getting to an age now where the idea of fishing begins to appeal to me. I, I can imagine pulling on a pair of rubber trousers, wading in up to my waist, setting my tackle loose, all in the hope of getting a quick nibble. Uh, it's it's something which I think I could get quite hooked on. What the heck's going on with you? Well, no, I think, <laughs> I think I'm, you know, it's, it's a gentler, calmer, simpler time, right? Now we're in year two of eight of the great lockdown <laughs> I, I you've been talking it's... for two minutes i'm already blushing that's all i'm just i'm just saying this is highly right, unusual right, right. i think you should consider fishing at least mull it over now i want to talk to you about a company a british company called angling direct they've got uh, around about 40 stores up and down the country millions of customers they're listed on the london stock exchange you know they're not some small outfit uh certainly not small fright Tens of thousands of people visit its website every day to buy rods, reels, 
and bait. Fishing paraphernalia. Yeah, you know, the, the essential equipment you need to go fishing. Now, unfortunately, their website appears to have suffered from what I can only call a so fish ticated <laughs> cyber attack. How long did that take you? Um, <laughs> I'm just going to let you hang on that one. <laughs> all right. For God's sake, um, <laughs> I need to stop carping on. I need to get on with what's happening because if you visit the Angling Direct website right now, you don't get to see Tackle. Instead, you find yourself on the Pornhub website. What? Which I suppose means you do get to see Tackle. So someone's redirecting people who are trying to buy fishing rods et al. Yes. To tits. So, <laughs> yes, to porn, exactly. basically. Yes. Sorry, to uh, porn. Well, boobs, knobs, and yeah, all that kind of equipment instead is what you're getting to see. Can I so, ask a question? Yes, of course you may. Why? Well, why indeed? Why does anyone do anything these days? Wow, it's got to be cash, hasn't it? You've got to hold them to ransom. Yeah. Hijack their domain. Exactly. Take money. Mm, Grabbing them by the short and curlies and saying, come on, cough up some money. Angling Direct (laughs) says it spotted something odd going on in its network late on Friday night. And it appears that the company's DNS records, the things which uh, tell computers where to find Angling Direct's website, they were meddled with. So obviously they were hacked or compromised. Maybe the hackers got hold of the passwords at their DNS record service and redirecting people to Pornhub instead. And also Angling Direct social media accounts. They were also hacked on Sunday night. Its Twitter account announced our site has been sold to MindGeek, the founders of Pornhub. Your data has already been transferred and Pornhub Premium will be available for your account for a period of one year. And so they were saying if you register at Pornhub using your Angling Direct login credentials, they would automatically get a premium Pornhub account. I don't know what a premium Pornhub account um, gives you, but that's... No ads, probably. Oh, I suppose so. I don't think they send you wet wipes or anything like that. Right, okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, so is this to embarrass people into action or is this more like thinking so many people are going to go for this, like this freebie? Well, oh, I see. Do you think maybe that Pornhub are behind it or a Pornhub affiliate no, trying I, to drive traffic, thinking there's lots of people who are into fishing I'm who might if, be interested? <laughs> no, I'm thinking more. Are they thinking that someone's going, oh, a full year, of, you know, a full free month of premium porn, that's worth it. And I that they'll actually go and log in, you know, with their credentials, legitimately. I, I don't know. I mean, the thing is... That angling is a hobby enjoyed by people of all ages. And Not are, very sexy, though. What, what, what? I don't know if people fish for what? Get, for kicks, literally. <laughs> people do everything for kicks. Uh, people hack IoT devices for kicks, right, Ken? You know, it's... I'm just thinking, is, is, is there some sort of niche area of uh, pornography we don't know about to do with <laughs> angling? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really into scales. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it appears because they're still in control of Anglin Direct's details. If you go to Anglin Direct's Twitter account right now, the messages are still up there days later. If you try and go to their website, you still get directed to Pornhub instead. So they clearly, after a few days, haven't managed to get a proper handle on this and are, are, and are still struggling. 
And the message from these hackers is, if you want to um, get in touch with us, and they've, they've given an address of like hacker at anglindirect.co.uk, we will tell you how to fix the problem and we can maybe give you a data back. They haven't announced whether they're going to ask for money, but one assumes that they would. What are the real people at Angler Direct doing about this? Well, they've contacted law enforcement agencies. They've told the ICO they don't believe any financial details have been put at risk. But obviously, there's concern that there may be some credentials and customer information which may possibly have been snaffled up as well. But what I wanted to emphasize, though, is remember I was saying how angling is a hobby which appeals to people of all ages. So it's not just grubby, dirty old men who just want to look at someone's knockers. There are people on Twitter who said, my five-year-old son has gone to the Angling Direct website today and I'm having to have this really awkward conversation with him. That's not a fish, darling. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's, well, what's the thing with the tentacles? There's, there's, and there's, there was someone else who was saying their 13-year-old son had ended up on this site. Oh, was my really God. deeply disturbed about what people were doing, you know, because I'm sure there are some 13-year-olds who have seen that kind of content online, but there are other people who certainly haven't and are too young to handle it. Yeah. Um, so not yeah. very good, really. Ken, you deal with companies who've been hacked and breached and things like that. Are you surprised that it, they haven't managed to get this under control yet? It's interesting, isn't it? Looking at the press release they put out, the statement is that the one thing they haven't done is stated as sophisticated. Isn't that the old cliche <laughs> to every breach? Sophisticated cyber attack. Yeah. <laughs> This one, it doesn't seem to have mentioned the word sophisticated, which is great, the fact they haven't gone for the old cliche, but <laughs> it's interesting they took DNS and Twitter. That, that was fascinating, which suggests to me, I don't know, maybe a case of reused passwords. Yeah, shitty password yeah. and shared, yeah. So maybe they're using the same password at Cloudflare or wherever it is as they're using on Twitter. But that seems a real shot. I mean, this is a, what, £70 million turnover business? That, that would be a bit of an oversight to... Um, leave your IT and probably your biggest revenue generating online thing and have lousy credentials that you reuse everywhere. It's not good at all. And sadly, it seems to be the case with so many organizations when they, when they get breached all the time. So anyway, right now, if you Google for Angling Direct even, Google pops up a message saying, oh, there may be some smutty um, <laughs> search results in here because they've sort of now flagged Angling Direct as being an adult website. So it's... It's going to do them harm for a, for a little while, I think. It's not angling, it's dangling. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's funny, Graham. Um, <laughs> it almost feels personal to me. Oh, you think? Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Fish are behind it. So fish, fish are fighting back. And then they are the ones who... <laughs> okay, okay, yes, yes. That's Finally, we've had enough of hooks in our mouths. We're going to show you. Ken, what have you got to talk to us about this week? Well, you know, I, I want to bring up the subject of regulation and I'd very rarely talk about laws because usually they're a bit yawn-worthy, aren't they? Going through the details of laws and things. But there's been some progress in the area of IoT. Now, I always thought when we started doing research on these smart devices that a bit of bad press coverage would shock manufacturers' interaction. But you know what? It hasn't. Mm. Um, years later, we're still banging our heads against the wall trying to get organizations to up their game. And some have, but... Ah. It gets really frustrating when you go out to buy a product from Amazon or whoever's selling stuff and you find the same silly mistakes that you were finding six, seven years yeah. ago. 
But don't you think without regulation, you've got like some that are going to try and do the best they can because they care and they're being conscientious and they want to put out good products. And there's other people, cowboys, they're going to throw it as much as they can, quickly as they can, and try and make a fast buck. How How is the user going to make a decision when they're buying the product on, you know, right. online? Yeah, there's no marking. That'd be almost impossible to do anyway. So you end up falling victim to lousy advertising and people making grand claims. And I'd just like to know that the product I'm going to buy is going to be safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Can't argue with that. So there's, there's an interesting thing. I think it's 29th of October. So pretty recent now, there's, there's a, a big change that was implemented. So the EU uh, got the Radio Equipment Directive, which is all about basic standards for radio systems. But they've managed to include some standards for smart devices. That's all going to come into effect in 2024, so I understand. But it's maybe the start of a change towards the IoT not being really vulnerable and hackable. So will this mean that IoT devices which are made in China but are intended for sale in Europe will will have to conform to this standard? That's the idea. So yeah. I think it's a huge step forward. It's not the first law. Um, the first I'm aware of that was specific to IoT was in California. Mm-hmm. Came into effect January 1st last year. But the sad thing is I haven't heard of any enforcement action. So it's all very well having a law. But if no one's going to actually take action and hold these manufacturers to account, it's kind of a bit pointless having a law, isn't mm. it? Although, mm. yeah, it was hard maybe during the pandemic. That might have taken a backseat. Like, we'll start after the pandemic. <laughs> <We'll> get- <laughs> Let's do some enforcement later, yeah. shall we? And in the meantime, everyone just gets hacked. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, okay. So what can you tell us about what, what, what is going to be regulated as part yeah, of this? Yeah. What would have been fixed by these sort of regulations, do you think? What, what sort of common problems are you seeing? Well, you'd have thought that consumer privacy would be covered by GDPR. Mm. Uh, and arguably it is. But again, we don't seem to be seeing too much action taken. So it's, that's a big thing. A big step forward is that um, consumer privacy is going to be a core part of the radio equipment directive. Mm. Which is really cool. So it means that if you've got a smart device with a leaky API that anyone can grab all your personal data from, that's going to be a massive breach. Mm. But what I really like to see is some certification around this. And that's a bit of a mess right now. So you've got lots of organizations, companies you probably know, people like BSI, UL, TUV in Germany, people like that who are trying to get certification schemes to market. But it's a really big job trying to work out if a smart device is secure or not because it's so damn complicated. Yeah, it spans all devices oh. from vacuum cleaners to computers to, you know, fishing equipment, I'm sure. There is smart fishing equipment, I have to say. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> <laughs> of all the crazy things, one of my colleagues said, hey, my washing machine's got a web server. Awesome, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so I think that's, that's where we've got to go. It's, it's, I, I'm not a massive fan of regulation because it can be argued that it stifles innovation. But I think in this case, I think we actually really need some. Um, there's been some great progress in the UK. So I think this parliamentary session, there's, uh, there's the online safety bill, I think, has got a bit in it about smart devices, so IoT, with some really basic requirements for cybersecurity. So that's kind of good. But I really want to see some enforcement action. Well, yeah, yeah, but if the requirements, though, are fairly basic in order to sort of get them passed, is there a danger that the general public will see the equivalent of a cyber tick and think, oh, it's safe then? When well, in fact, they're doing that now. They're assuming that's all safe. Hmm. Although there's some good surveys, actually. So Department for Culture, Media and Sport did some work a little while back, and they actually went out and talked to people and started to gather what were the things that were worrying people about buying smart products. And one of the one of the things towards the top of the list was actually cybersecurity. The people were worried genuinely about these invasive devices. You know, what are they doing? Yep. Is, is, is that home assistant listening to me all the time? Mm. Yeah, is, is it sending adverts based on what I say when it hears me? And I think that's a real obstacle. So if we can 
encourage these smart device manufacturers to go, hey, no, actually, we really are secure. Look, here's, here's how we keep your data private. Here's how we don't snoop on you. I think people will buy more. Mm. Do you think they should have stickers like they do in the supermarket when they say, you know, something has a lot of sugar or a lot of fat or anything? And it says, listening to you at all times, <laughs> taking pictures whenever it wants. Yeah. <laughs> like, would that help? There's been a, there's been a lot of work on in, uh, trying to come up with a label, but yeah, when you buy your, your fridge freezer, right? So it'll come up with a rating and you go for the one that's going to save you loads of electricity. But IoT is so much more nuanced and there's so many different areas of it. It's, it's a complex ecosystem. So you've got the thing as, and you've got the hardware security on it, cameras, microphones, speakers, all those sort of things, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. Then you've got an API that hooks it up to the mobile phone and the app. Mm. Then you've got a cloud platform and it's so complicated. Mm. But yeah, we judge food on five scores, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally true. Yeah. I, I think the other bit we've got a real issue with is certain vested interests from some industry lobbies. Mm. So, so what is a smart device? Where, where do you draw the line? When it, is, it, is it a laptop? Mm. Is it your phone? Is it your car? Is it a smart speaker? Where is it? Because the automotive industry is a very powerful lobby. Yeah. Mm. And I believe there was quite hard lobbying in the US to ensure that Senate Bill 327 didn't apply. But that said, cybersecurity cars is improving. Yeah, but why should there be any cybersecurity regulations regarding cars? I mean, they're only something you can drive down the highway at, you know, 100 kilometers an hour and... Uh, <laughs> crashing around. It's not as though it's but, in really important, is it? No, but like a vacuum could really attack your ankles as well, right? Yes, you've got to watch out for robot vacuum cleaners. What are the weirdest IoT things that you've hacked, Ken? Well, <laughs> over the years, you'll know we've done a few connected adult toys. And you might remember one last year where we saw a connected male chastity device. Oh, yes. Graham did that story, I believe. Sounds like my cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> right up your street, hey? We were talking about dangling anyway, but. Was this um, the leaky lock? Was it called leaky? Uh, leaky or. <laughs> God, it's such a bad name. It, it was called Keys. So oh, Q I U I. I knew it was something like that, yes. <laughs> leaky. You, you remember that my, my amazing colleague Alex discovered that um, the API had some major flaws. You could actually leave people locked in or locked out or other things, and you end up having to destroy the damn thing to get your meat into veg out, which is quite quite an awful story, really. But the bit that was actually probably more sinister was that it also leaked your position. And there are a lot of countries in the world where there aren't so tolerant of... Uh, oh, I see. Geog geogra oh, I understand position. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you meant... Not that position. I thought you oh meant sort of angle of elevation or something. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> the angle of... Yeah, anyway, yes. But what I've heard recently... Still is, blushing. Is that, so, yeah. Said device manufacturers is upgrading their product and now offering the ability to give electronic shocks. Oh, for God's sake. Well, I think I know someone who I'm might thinking, like that, actually. No, not me. I'm just thinking API security flaws, and now we've got a shock device. So you could just see some, some poor gentleman walking down the street all of a sudden leaping in the air <laughs> because some damn hacker's taking control of the API. <laughs> I mean, fine if you want that sort of thing to happen, but... Not on a public street, though. Well, you know, if it's not <laughs> raining or something, so there's no danger of electrocuting anybody else. He's but, not you know, plugged it, in. It's, it's just... <laughs> it's just it, I know, I, yeah, you don't really want that happening, do you, If without your, your thumbs up, as it were. Maybe that's the wrong phrase. But yes, good. <laughs> Still well, blushing. Ken, I, think, <laughs> I think you've done jolly well there, Ken, uh, in raising the tone, as it were. Excellent. Scroll... <laughs> Well, what are you going to talk to us about? I'm cleaning this up a little bit, okay? So Good. don't lower the tone, gentlemen. 
but I'm going to nod her about uh, what most people think is an extremely sexy car, the Tesla. Do you guys think of it as sexy? Ooh. <laughs> I don't think of it as sexy, no. Oh, no, but you're in love with Elon, that's why. Uh, well, no, because I'm not in love with Elon. I just don't find him very sexy. He's just, you know, he's mm. a twit, isn't he? I don't know. I think you swoon a bit over him. Ken, what about you? Hey, so I'm I'm an EV buff. I have two EVs. Um, absolutely love them. And we bought a, a Model S a, a few years ago to mm. to reverse engineer it and find out about how it updates itself over there because that's kind of cool. I really like that bit. But the bit that surprised me a bit is when we were taking the car apart. Is I, I was a little surprised about the the build quality. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. There was oh. rust behind the dash already after two two and a half years. Really. So. Ooh. Don't get me wrong. I love technicality, the amazing wizardry of the Tesla, and I love that you know the the, the acceleration in a straight line is mind blowing. But not quite there with the rest of the bit. You know, the bit that other car manufacturers did years ago. Okay. I am so glad you're on the show today to help me on this. So you guys may have heard about Tesla's glitches late last month when cars started behaving erratically after receiving an overnight software update. Oh yes. This is when, yes, they started going into cul-de-sacs and things, didn't they? Or, or yes, that was part of it. Yeah, yeah, getting yeah. Getting stuck. Yeah. But it got worse than that. Some owners reported that their cars suddenly started slamming on the brakes at highway speeds. Oh, well, <laughs> yes. Now, not, not, not ideal. No. CEO Elon Musk got on Twitter, acknowledged the problem, and vowed that the update was being rolled back. And the glitch reportedly affected about 12,000 cars and lasted only a few hours thanks to real-time emergency software updates. Well, you say only a few hours, but if those, you know, if you'd set off on your journey and... To go to work in the morning, yeah. Yeah, updated rolled out onto your Tesla, mm -hmm. and then suddenly your Tesla begins to brake randomly. That's not really that great, is it, if it's slamming on its brakes? Totally agree, but it's kind of interesting, and I want us to keep in mind this whole idea of real-time emergency software updates, because that's kind of where I want to go with this. Now, of course, this isn't the first time that there's been some kind of snafet with Teslas. Just before this software glitch, where the Teslas were behaving erratically and slamming on the brakes, Tesla was publicly dinged by the NHTSA, so National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, for failing to issue a formal recall over a previous incident where basically dozens or so of Teslas, when on autopilot or when autopilot was activated, had mm -hmm. crashes involving parked emergency vehicles. So, oh. it, like, it couldn't it couldn't read them and it would crash into them. Yeah. Well, sp specifically emergency vehicles like fire and well, ambulances. They didn't go into details, things. parked emergency right. vehicles. That's what I imagined from it, right? Like, so, ambulances, huh. fire, exactly. wonder why it targeted them. <laughs> well, maybe they're not where they're supposed to be. Maybe they're parked in weird places. They're not where cars expect right. them to be, maybe. Elon and co. dealt with this issue by issuing an emergency real-time software update to enable its cars to better see parked emergency vehicles in low lighting. So it was obviously mm -hmm. a lighting issue again. Again, real-time updates to the rescue. But the thing is, is there's more and more kind of incidents. Of course, there would be. But last June, Reuters reported that U.S. auto safety regulators had opened 30 investigations into Tesla crashes and they had involved the time 10 deaths over the last five years, where this concept of advanced driver assistance systems were suspected of use. 
Did you look at that when you were looking at Tesla's, Ken, the driver assistance systems? Didn't so much look at the ADAS. We were more interested in how the updates were being done. That's that's the key thing for me. And uh, mm. I, I think, in fairness, we, Tesla did something quite cool. Do you remember the Beast from the East storm a little yeah. a few years back? And one one of the updates they pushed out enabled uh, a further range for a period of time, so people could get home if they were stuck in the snow. And I kind of like that. Yeah. So there are clearly some benefits. But the bit that worries me is: Are Tesla testing their software enough? Yeah. Agree. agree. Well, they are testing it, but they're testing it out on the public road with plenty of people who are driving these dodgy updates, you know, on their way to work, aren't they? Yeah. So the latest iteration of Tesla software is called Full Self Driving. Okay. And this is Full Self Driving navigates city and residential streets with an attentive owner behind the wheel at all times. Okay. And about 12,000 drivers paid as much as 10 grand to be first in line to upgrade, be part of this beta team to, you know, to test out this full self-driving. As you say, Graham, they're testing them on our roads where you drive your kids to school or you're going bowling this Friday, you're taking going out for a date. And there's these cars there that are under test. Now, Elon's saying, look, it's a beta, you know, there's going to be some problems. And I'm wondering what the fuck are you doing on the roads? I mean, I guess they really want to test the software and sometimes going out into the world is is what's required. But it's it's bizarre, isn't it, that people will spend $10,000 to get a piece of beta software. Can you can you imagine doing that with your computer if you wanted a new version of Windows? But, oh, you want it a few weeks earlier than everybody else, so please can you give it to me in its buggy state and I'll give you $10,000, Microsoft. It's insane, isn't it? That's the problem, isn't it? Is, is We talk about AI and machine learning, but the machine has to learn. And when you're coming to driving, you do that by driving. But yet paying for the privilege... That, that, that's incredible. Well, and also, also, hang on a moment. Also, if you're the kind of person who's prepared to pay $10,000 to get this potentially dodgy software, that might say something about your character. Maybe you could even make some suggestions as to what you are like as a driver, because maybe you are a little bit reckless. Maybe you are a little bit more dangerous because you clearly think that's a sensible thing to do, to spend that kind of money. I don't know. I think Tesla, must they must underwrite the insurance. Like, how do you get insurance for that? I think one thing I did read with Teslas is that they first start rolling out updates like this to people who've got a 100% driving record. So the car, I believe, is actually measuring how good a driver you are and gives you a percentage. Tesla owners who are listening to this write in and tell us that we're wrong about all these facts. But I think that's how they begin to roll out the update. So they try and work out who is the safest first. But I think the, the sheer fact that you spend extra money suggests to me that maybe you're not completely compass mentors. Here's another weird thing about this real-time update. So on my phone, for example, I or on my computer, I might you know do updates, software updates, browser, whatever. Yeah. And configuration options will sometimes change back to default. So if you're in a car and you have things like brake assist turned on or heated seats, Graham, <laughs> switched oh, off, right? And they good. default to on after a uh, you know an emergency update. That, yeah, that would be bad. I certainly remember a long trip, which I took with you once, Carol. Uh, we were going from Boston up to somewhere in Canada. And I was driving and the, the heated seat would mysteriously keep on being turned on underneath me, which made me feel quite ill. Like um, having a heated seat war. I won. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Funny, yeah. <laughs> anyway, to, to Ken's point earlier about regulations, US regulators have been pushing Elon for quite a while to like say, hey, look, when you do one of these real-time emergency security updates, can you let us know? 
right? And he's like, no, I don't need to. And he's been kind of tap dancing around and sidestepping. But I think the heat is on because for the first time, he reported to the National Highway Traffic when, you know, Tesla started reacting erratically following that software update we started the story with. And not only that, earlier this week, Tesla is now recalling the 12,000 vehicles, you know, because they think there was a communication error in it. So these people that may have paid extra cash to be able to play with this system, this driving system that he, they've got, <laughs> now have to, their car's been recalled. Really? Oh my goodness. Do they get their cash back? I don't know. I wonder. <laughs> Go and spend it on a, a different electric car, maybe. I think it's about time there's regulations for this. I think it's good that he needs to report them because we need to know as a kind of, don't you think it's like, Oh, listen to both of you. You're all just like, regulations are great. Oh, isn't it wonderful having rules? Shouldn't things just be a bit more free and easy, able to do whatever we like? Do you want me to cheer this up? Do you want to hear a few Elon Musk jokes? Oh, yeah. Go on then. I love the idea of a joke about Elon Musk. What is Elon Musk's favorite country? Mad at Gascar. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why does Elon Musk want so many satellites? He's transmitting with them. <laughs> oh, crow, what dark corner of the web have you gone to to find these? Elon, Elon Musk's tunnel digging venture just got approved for expansion. Even more boring than before. Ding, ding. Boom. <laughs> Ken, I'm so sorry we invited you on <laughs> He's loving it, right, Ken? The, the puns are impressive. Thanks, man. <laughs> From startup to enterprise, 1Password makes it easy for your team to store, generate, and share strong passwords. The less time you need to spend dealing with hacks, phishing scams, lost passwords, the better, right? Well, it's not just for IT and security teams. All kinds of teams inside your company, like finance, HR, legal, marketing, they can also store and share sensitive information, such as business credit cards, sensitive documents, and shared logins inside 1Password. Work securely from home or in the office, 1Password allows secure access to logins and important resources anywhere you work. Find out more and try 1Password for free for 14 days at onepassword.com. And thanks to 1Password for supporting the show. Qualys, one of the pioneering providers of disruptive cloud-based IT, were one of the first SaaS security companies. And they deliver continuous critical security intelligence via their Qualys cloud platform and integrated cloud apps. Plus, their 21st annual security conference is coming up between November 15th and 18th this year in Las Vegas. But you can also attend online. One cool highlight is you'll get a keynote speech from Chris Krebs, former director of CISA, with further talks around the role of automation in security. Want to learn more? Of course you do. Visit smashingsecurity.com slash Qualys Las Vegas. That's Q-U-A-L-Y-S Las Vegas. And thanks to Qualys for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. Good. I have gone back through time and i'm remembering 
Ah, how joyful and pleasurable my formative years were when I was a young man. And you could well have found me. You are so having a midlife crisis right now. You could Every <laughs> single pick of the week has been something from your childhood. <laughs> you could may well have found me with my nose stuck in a terrific series of illustrated books called Osborne's World of the Unknown. And there was a version about ghosts, one about UFOs, and one about monsters. These were illustrated books looking into mythical monsters, sinister sightings, and things that go bump in the night. I flipping loved these books. <laughs> I could... Oh, there's a lot of pictures I, in them. There's a lot of pictures and some words. <laughs> but looking at pictures of UFOs or photographs which claim to be of ghosts or explanations of UFOs and weird monsters from myths. I loved them. First published in 1977, the Osborne World of the Unknown Books, and my mum and dad must have bought one for me or bought a collection for me. They've recently been republished with introductions from the likes of Robin Ince, Reese Shearsmith, and friend of the show, John Coleshaw. <laughs> so I've bought, I've bought them for my lad. Aww. And if he isn't interested, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy checking them out as well. I really used to love these books. I I remember I it was like my favourite book, and I remember once going into the library at school and telling Mr. Bartlett, he said, I've got these great books at home all about UFOs and monsters and ghosts. And I was describing it to him. He says, No, you haven't. I said, Yeah, yeah, I do. He said, No, you haven't got that. I said, I do. He said, No, you haven't. Because your mum came in earlier today and she gave them to the library. <laughs> you just, must have really pissed her off. Ah, just my heart sank. Anyway, they are now out. I've bought new copies of them, which my mum will not be taking to the library. (laughs) And I can thoroughly recommend them. And I will include some links where you can see a video of one of the books, a little trailer for a book, um, as well as find out more about them because they're great. Don't rush at the same time. You don't want to DDoS the... uh... (laughs) Lots of people... Do like my picks of the week, Carol. No, so I, I know. Think be a, a lot of people do. Big hit. Yeah. And Usborne, World of the Unknown, UFOs, Monsters, and the other one. What ghosts. more could you want? Yeah. Pick of the week. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> Ken, what's your pick of the week? Well, do you know one of the things I've missed over the last couple of years has been traveling. I think mm. I think many people have. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just be able to go to I don't know, jump on the train, get in the car, or go go in a in the air somewhere i'd really missed it so mm. this week's pick is for something one of my colleagues chap called chris tams flagged up to me he he flagged some some luggage to me obviously yeah. you know we need luggage when we travel but of course chris said well actually this is interesting luggage it's smart luggage and I'm like, what? Oh. and of course we had to buy some you have to have smart luggage, right? Don't you? Yep. <laughs> oh Don't my want. God. Not, I no. cannot wait to find out what it can actually do. So it just follow you like a dog behind you? You don't have to pull it at all? It just follows yeah. you? Yeah. It's oh, great. for real? <laughs> it's, yeah, absolutely. So it's got a little Bluetooth wrist strap, wrist strap that you wear. So you, you, you get into the airport and you just toddle off and your luggage <laughs> comes behind you. I love the idea of it. It just really, really tickles me. What? This is never going to work. No, no, this is a very good idea for cruises and for older folk that, you know, either have tons and tons of like huge suitcases or, you know, can't actually yank that thing back and forth. Could it jump itself into the cab? That's what I need to know. 
can it go up steps? Yeah, is that like a, it should be like a yeah. pogo stick, you know? No, I, I'm thinking like the, the Terry Pratchett books, yeah, you know, with the luggage with its legs <laughs> that can go up. And no, <laughs> this one's got wheels. So it's not so much fun, but surprise, surprise, uh, we were having a look at it, and I'm afraid it's not quite as secure as it's supposed to be. You don't say. What a surprise! <laughs> so we've got this ridiculous situation where you've got smart luggage that follows you, but someone else nearby with nothing more than a mobile app and no further um, authentication can steal your luggage and drive it off in the other direction. I love that. What? Just so, yeah. You'd be like, no, my dress is in there. <laughs> I, I just love that. It's like something as simple as even your luggage can be hacked, man. Yeah. So this is really your unpick of the week, I suppose. You're, you, you don't you don't really want people to suggest they check this out. It sounds like it until they fix these flaws. I'm a big luggage fan, and I'm a ginormous fan of Victoria Knox luggage. So I'm just putting it out there. Oh. If anyone wants real luggage that's not smart, there's some amazing stuff there. Those are the people who make the uh, Swiss Army knives, right? Yeah, they make lots of things, clothing and right. bags and stuff. But they're suitcases I've had for about 10 years, and it's killer. Light as anything, four wheels, huh? spinny, great. Awesome. Are you sure there's, there's no Bluetooth connections, no, no Wi-Fi on them? Nothing. No. You sure? <laughs> Shut up. Ken, Don't make Ken me paranoid. Can all find them if they are. Well, there. next time you're in Oxford, Ken, you can come and, you know, mark everything in my house that happens to have a Bluetooth connection that I don't even know about. What oh, God. <laughs> possibly go wrong. <laughs> Carol, what's your pick of the week? It's non-smart. <laughs> so my pick of the week. So I like a coffee, right? And I also like to travel. And the thing is, is, I like my coffee, right? From my local coffee roasters. And I like the particular kind. And I like it really strong, almost tar-like. But when I travel, it's really hard because you can kind of bring your equipment, your cafetiere and stuff. But if you're in a hotel, you don't have a hob to cook on, <laughs> right. Um, right? You have, you might have a kettle, but then what? You get sometimes you get those Nespresso things or you have instant coffee. So what do you do if you like to laze in bed with a perfect coffee if you don't want to go out? You could light a fire. You could get some tingling <laughs> and light a fire in the middle of the carpet. Couldn't you? <laughs> yes, I could. But there's an easier way. Oh. There's an easier way. Welcome or say hello to the AeroPress. So it's kind of, you know, like a, a, a conventional coffee maker drips hot water into like, you know, a filter full of coffee grounds. Not, not really. I don't drink coffee. Is it like a trouser press? Ken, Ken you've seen a coffee machine before because Graham obviously will play dumb here <laughs> on this. I might even confess to having hacked a coffee machine, but are you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um but normally the water will drip through, right? Um, but the AeroPress pushes the hot water through this kind of ground coffee puck that you create by pushing it together. And you end up with kind of espresso slash conventional coffee. It's really good. And the best thing is it's not made of glass. You can easily throw it into your suitcase and bring it along. There's only three small parts. And the whole thing retails about 30 quid or 30 bucks. And it makes darn good coffee. So if you're going to your in-laws or going somewhere on holiday and you like your coffee, this is a good thing to throw in your suitcase. So check out the AeroPress and I'll throw the links in the show notes. This is very interesting. Are you specifically saying that your in-laws provide really rubbish coffee? They, um, uh, they tend to combine decaf and calf coffee together, whatever's on sale down at the local store. Oh. And I'm not a ginormous fan of that. I think I'd really like my little jolt of caffeine, but, you know, I'm an addict okay. on that front. I just hope they don't listen to the show. Have you mm. told them this? No. Mm. 
<laughs> really hope they don't listen. Mm. Good. Don't email them. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and find out what you are up to. What's the best way for folks to do that? What you're hacking next. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So the blogs at pentestpartners.com, that's always full of crazy things. But you can catch us on Twitter as well as pentestpartners or the Ken Monroe Show. Fantastic. And you can <laughs> follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And we're also on Reddit. Uh, go and check out the Smash Insecurity subreddit. And make sure that you never miss another episode by following Smash Insecurity in your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And thank you to this episode's sponsors, the fabulous One Password and the wonderful Qualys, and to our wonderful Patreon communities. Thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest list, and the entire back catalogue of more than 250 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. ever be a smart toupee <laughs> like a hairpiece a syrup this is, this is just great isn't it <laughs> it's the weird stuff yes yeah, the weird stuff i like too what would a smart toupee do would it comb itself would it slowly change its hue you know oh my good god there is a there is a patent for a smart wig oh, smart wig. what about oh, one is. which automatically gets longer and then get shorter to make it look like you've had a haircut. Oh, post-corona. Didn't Terry Wogan have a series of toupees for that purpose? <laughs> you need to get a wig in um, to the lab, a smart wig, and then oh, we'll do a so show. Sony patented it in 2013, right? So whether it actually came to market, I don't know. But it's, got to, it's supposed to have a Wi-Fi transceiver and Bluetooth too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm over here i remember we were looking at some um some hair straighteners a while back and they were smart we're like why do you need smart hair straighteners and you could do crazy shit so if someone left them plugged in so they'd go off but then you could remotely outside the house turn them back on again if they're on the floor they'd burn shit unbelievable <laughs>